I don't know about you, but I can't believe that anybody really likes the idea of being hated. Uh, I think Pam Beasley probably spoke for us all when she said, I hate the idea that someone out there hates me. I even hate thinking that Al-Qaeda hates me. I think if they got to know me, they wouldn't hate me. Ain't that the truth, Pam? Well, maybe not. Um, But it's at least how most of us feel, I think. The truth is, sometimes you can't help who hates you. This morning, as we study the book of Genesis, we're going to see that Esau hated Jacob. And there's precious little, really, that Jacob can do about it. In fact, the people of God are often hated by the world. And there's little that we can do about it. The little that we can do is is this. We can hold on to Jesus and walk in holiness. That's what we have the privilege of thinking about together this morning from God's Word. If you haven't done so already, please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 27, verse 41. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, I believe you can find the passage uh, beginning on page 22. In the book of Genesis, God has announced that He's the creator of the world and all that is in it. He has also made a promise, a very important promise. It's not only going to guide the rest of the book of Genesis, but the rest of the Christian scriptures. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God promised that He would send a son to defeat sin and Satan and death. And that He would rescue ruined rebels like you and me. And as Genesis has unfolded, in our study we've seen this, God has focused His promise and His plan on a particular family, the family of Abraham. And God first blessed Abraham, and then he blessed Isaac, and then in Genesis 25, to our great surprise, God announced that he would pass over Isaac's firstborn son, Esau. And instead, he would bless Isaac's younger son, Jacob. The promises that God made through Abraham were going to pass from Abraham to Isaac and then to Jacob. And as we saw in our last study of Genesis together, God's plan to bless Jacob is unstoppable. That's what we saw really in the first 40 verses of Genesis chapter 27. Isaac, as we saw in that study, Isaac, he he wanted to upend God's plan and instead bless Esau. But his wife, Rebecca, and his son Jacob conspired to manipulate and deceive Isaac against his will and his knowledge He actually blessed Jacob. And this left Esau in tears. And as we'll see in our text today, it tempted him to take his brother's life. Esau hated Jacob. He wanted him dead. But not even the threats of murder will stop God's blessing. Isaac blesses Jacob. He sends him away. And through all of this, we see that God protects his promises. God protects his promises. Nothing can stop God's blessing. Not even hatred. And this is our hope and confidence today. For the children of God are still hated by the world. But the world's hatred cannot bring an end to our heavenly hope and the blessing that we will know in heaven because of Jesus Christ. Heaven always overcomes hate in the end. We will receive our promised blessing because our Savior has overcome the world. Beloved, here's the sermon in a sentence. When you are hated by the world, hold on to Jesus and walk in holiness. When you are hated by the world, hold on to Jesus and walk 
in holiness. We're going to unpack this truth from Genesis 27, beginning in verse 41, and we'll study through chapter 28, verse 9. We'll unpack this in three sections under three headings. First, God's people are hated. Second, God's people are blessed. And if you must really have alliteration, you can change that to happy. Finally, third, God's people are holy. There's a fuller outline there in your bulletin. I hope that will help you follow along as we begin this study of God's Word. Let's turn and think about our first point together. God's people are hated. Follow along as I read Genesis 27, verses 41 to 45. Genesis 27, verses 41 to 45. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself... The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Well, the goal of these verses, verses 41 to 45, is to underscore Jacob's danger. And with that, the danger of the promises. Remember that Jacob is God's chosen servant. And in time, his descendants will make up God's chosen people. Later, God will change his name to Israel. And they will become the people of Israel who come for him. But sadly, God's chosen people have always been hated by the world, just as Jacob was hated by Esau. I mean, just look at the opening words of verse 41, right? Now Esau hated Jacob. Now, in the original language, the word for hate has connotations of being hostile toward or being at enmity with his brother. It reminds me of what we read in Genesis 3.15, where we're told that the children of the devil would be at enmity with the children of the woman. You see, there are two and only two kinds of people in this world. The children of God and the children of the devil. We read about that in 1 John 3 earlier. Since the fall in the garden, there are only two kinds of people in the world. Those who love God and His people, and those who loathe God and His people. Which one are you? Do you love God and His people? Or do you loathe God and His people? Is that evidenced? In his life. If you don't love the people of God, do you really love God? Now, don't let the reason why Esau hates Jacob slip by. It's there in the text. Do you see it? Because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. It's the blessing that makes him boil. Esau was jealous of the blessing that Jacob had received. He wanted the blessing. Even though God had promised that it would go to Jacob. Way back in Genesis chapter 25, verse 23. Let's remember what Esau is really angry about. Esau was angry over the loss of the worldly wealth that came with the blessing. He was not angry to have lost the privilege of being in covenant union with God, the God who blesses. He, he, was, not, he was not angry about the loss of the privilege of carrying forward the line of the Messiah. He wasn't concerned about the promises of God. He was only actually serving mammon, money, rather than the maker. 
Esau, he could have united himself to the blessing bearer, to Jacob. He could have submitted to God's choice and aligned himself with Jacob. Like Psalm 2 says, kiss the son, the chosen son, lest he be angry with you. That's what Esau should have done. He should have submitted to God's will. If he blessed his brother, then he would have been blessed in return. That's what God promises, part of the Abrahamic blessings in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. God promised that He would bless those who blessed Abraham. Bless the chosen one. Esau could have chosen to humble himself before Jacob. But instead, he hated him. But that's not all. Esau's hatred led to a plan in his heart. Verse 41 ends by announcing that he plans to kill his brother, to murder him after his father had died. Esau, we see, he is showing himself over and over again to be a part of the seed of the serpent. This is what Jesus taught us. When Jesus confronted the Jewish religious leaders of his day about their murderous intentions to kill him, in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus said this, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning. Esau is following in the footsteps of Cain, who killed Abel in Genesis chapter 4. We read about in John, 1 John chapter 3. Esau is also foreshadowing Genesis 37 and the hatred that the brothers would have against Joseph, who was blessed by God with visions and dreams. Now, think about how this story about Jacob and Esau and the hatred that was there, think about how this would have fallen on the first readers of the book of Genesis. That wilderness generation, the people of Jacob, the, the people of Israel, they were making their way to the promised land. Do you remember what happened in the course of their journey? On their way to the promised land, we're told in Deuteronomy chapter 2, that they were harassed by Esau's offspring, the people of Edom, the nation of Edom. So in, in reading this text, they would have further understood why they were hated by that nation of Edom. They were hated because they were God's chosen and blessed people. In fact, this text would have been helpful to subsequent generations in the people of Israel. Now, the prophets, Ezekiel and Amos and Obadiah, all chronicle the hostility that Esau, the children of Esau, the, the nation of Edom, had toward the people of Israel. It's important to know your history. It helps explain a lot of things sometimes. Why are Christians, why are the people of God today hated by the world? Like Jacob was hated by Esau. Well, Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, this is what Jesus says. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Do you, do you hear what Jesus said? The people of God are hated by the world because the world hates Jesus. And because Christians are loved by Jesus and chosen out of the world by Jesus. That is our blessing, Christian. To be loved by Jesus and to be chosen by Him. Christian, you should not be surprised when you're hated by the world. God's people have been hated by the world since the very beginning. And remember that the world's hatred of Jesus led to your salvation. Count it an honor to be hated along with Christ. Because of Christ. And because you are blessed by Christ. Now, with Esau's hateful plan in place, Jacob is in danger. And thus the promises of God are in danger. Right? If Jacob dies without having offspring, without actually receiving the inheritance and living it out, then the promises of God to Abraham and the sending of the Messiah will die. 
That's the tension of the text. So, Rebecca takes decisive action. We see her kind of hopeful proposal here in verses 42 to 45. Rebecca, as we've seen throughout these Genesis narratives, she's been a good listener. She seems to have had spies kind of in every place in the, the tents in their family. And this occasion is no different. Presumably a servant has kind of let her know of Esau's plan. And Rebecca, she develops her own. Rebecca, she demands that Jacob obey her voice. Just like when she told him to actually deceive his father earlier in the chapter. But this time, instead of fleecing his father, Jacob is to flee from his brother. Specifically, Jacob is to go to her brother's house. He's to stay there until Esau's anger has died down. And then, when the time is right, she will call for Jacob to come back. Now maybe Rebekah knew that Esau ran kind of hot and cold. Um, and that this murderous plan would kind of soon pass out of his mind. Whatever the case may be, at the end of verse 45, Rebekah explains some of her own thinking. You see it there? She, she doesn't want to be bereft of both of her sons in one day. Well, how could that be? Well, if Esau murdered Jacob, then Esau would be subject to capital punishment for his crime. Right? He would need to be put to death. Because of what the Lord God had said in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. As we learned before in the book of Genesis, being made in God's image is what makes man's life especially precious. Because that is so, man is not only to produce life, but also to protect life. God requires justice for the unlawful taking of human life. And the justice necessary, according to God, is the death penalty. We learn from other scriptures, like Romans chapter 13, verse 4, that God has now entrusted the state with the power of the sword to execute justice. Life should be protected from womb to tomb. Murder of a person who is one millisecond old after conception. To one minute old after birth. To one year old or to 100 years old, is wrong. The murder of any person at any age is an attack on God through attacking the one made in his image. And Rebecca knows that if Esau carries out his plan, she would lose not one son, but two. Rebecca's plan is hopeful. Not only because she hopes that the promises of God will be preserved, but also because she hopes to see Jacob again. The sad truth is, that would never happen. She hopes to call him back, but she will never have an opportunity to call him home again. And really, Rebecca is, at much, is as much at fault for that as anyone in the narrative. Uh, she is the one who encouraged Jacob to deceive Isaac. She didn't trust God to bring about his plan in his way, in his time. She used sin to make her plan succeed. And now, she would have to send her son away, never to see him again. Sin has consequences. And this is one of them for Rebecca. She'll never see her son again. Realize too, that sinful hatred endures. Unless it is repented of and turned away from, sinful hatred has a staying power. Beware of sinful hatred bubbling up in your heart. Someone told me long ago that bitterness against someone else or towards someone else is like swallowing poison and expecting the other person to die. It's not going to go away. Esau's revenge would not have brought him blessing. But repentance and forgiveness would have. Understand, inside of your own family, 
or in your own family history. You need to understand this. Revenge will not bring resolution or restoration. Children, you especially need to recognize this. When you are wronged by a brother or sister or a sibling, if you seek revenge, that is not going to bring about restoration or reconciliation in your family. But repentance and forgiveness will. If you have wronged, you need to repent and ask for forgiveness. If you've been wronged, you need to extend forgiveness. Pray for the grace of forgiveness. Remember that God is no longer hostile toward you. Remember that He has forgiven you because of Jesus Christ. And remember that you are called to forgive as you have been forgiven. God's people are hated by the world. But God's people may not sinfully hate the world. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and 44. Jesus said, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. God's people are hated. But our passage teaches us that God's people are also blessed. Or if you're really determined, as I said, to have your alliteration, God's people are happy. It's part of what blessed means, actually. This is what we find in Genesis 27, verses 46 through verse uh, 5 of chapter 28. Follow along as I I read those. And, And as you prepare to read those verses, remember that Rebecca has just convinced Jacob that he needs to flee, and now she has to convince her husband that that's the right way to go too. All right, Genesis 27, beginning there in verse 46. Then Rebecca said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brothers. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May He give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away. And he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Well, these verses, they are incredibly important because they chronicle the formal passing of the blessing, the Abrahamic blessing, onto Jacob. Uh, Previously, Jacob had swindled the blessing out of Isaac, but here we find Isaac fully, and I think finally, kind of submitted to the Lord's will to pass the blessing onto Jacob. But first consider Rebekah's cry to Isaac there in verse 46. Just read verse 46 again. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Now we can all tell that this is just, this is just a bit much, right, Rebecca? I mean, Rebecca, she has been a master manipulator really throughout the whole of Genesis chapter 27. She orchestrated every detail in Isaac's deception. She manipulated Jacob to pull that off, and now she manipulates her husband, Isaac. When she tells him that she loathes her life, she's, she's using a word that communicates she's weary and tired and depressed and sick and disgusted. Rebecca is using emotionally charged language. 
And she tells Isaac why she feels this way. It's the Hittite women. This actually harkens back to what we read in Genesis chapter 26, verses 34 and 35. There we read, When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Biri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. See, Esau was not a son who brought blessing. He was a son who brought bitterness and burden for both mom and dad. And Rebecca makes sure that Isaac remembers this. And then she rings the alarm bell. What if Jacob does the same thing that Esau did? What if he marries one of the women of the land? What good will my life be to me? In other words, it would be better. I would be better. I'd be better off dead if he did that. And this... This leads Isaac to spring into action, action. Because when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. You know? Now, before we consider Isaac's action, let's just recognize that this is a broken family. Right? And yet, these are God's people. This is a broken family. And these are God's people. These are the people that God loves. This bunch of messed up sinners. Take heart as you look around inside your own family and see the brokenness and sin that takes place in your home, don't lose heart. God has set His love upon you. And He can cause His love to do miraculous and wonderful and restorative things in your family. Believe in the loving power of God. Rebecca as we see here, carrying out this kind of manipulation, she's actually only living out the effects of the fall. Right? Back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, God told Eve that one of the consequences of the fall is that there would be conflict in love and in marriage. He said in Genesis 3.16 to Eve, Your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. And we actually read almost the exact same phrase just a chapter later in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. Where we're told that sin's desire was to rule over Cain, but that he must rule over it. That was actually just before he murdered Abel. And what I think Moses was saying to Eve back in Genesis 3.16 is that in her sinful nature, she will now attempt to overthrow her husband's headship. And what Rebecca is doing here reminds me of the old saying that the wife is the neck that turns the head. Isn't that what Rebecca is doing? through her master manipulation. I mean, this is a real thing in life. It, it really happens. It's really a danger. Husbands are sinners. Wives are sinners. And sinners are going to sin. And all of us should be on guard against using emotional manipulation. We must all trust the Lord and trust His means. He tells us to speak the truth in love. It's better to come out with the truth and to attempt to lovingly persuade your spouse of the right course of action. And Rebecca is actually right. She has the right idea. Jacob needs to be safe. But Rebecca, she uses sinful, emotional manipulation to make sure it happens. There's no need for that. It won't bless anyone. And even so, amazingly, God can overrule sin for His glory. And that's what happens as Genesis 28 opens. Isaac, he finally gets his acts together. I mean, if, if he were actually leading his home, he would have been concerned that Jacob find a faithful bride. After all, Esau is already married. 
Isaac had played favorites with his sons and he seemed to fail to look out not only for the interests of Jacob in finding a wife, but also for the interests of the promises of God. God revealed that his promises were to pass through Jacob. And Isaac should have been directing some attention to helping Jacob find a wife. If the Abrahamic promises and the line of the Messiah were to continue, that's what Isaac should have been thinking about and preparing for. But he's been absorbed with trying to upend God's plan and pass the blessing over to Esau. That he was derelict in his duty to teach Jacob that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Proverbs 18.22, God's word is exceptionally clear. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. And this leads actually to a natural question. I think about Genesis 20 verses 1 and 2. Why is it okay for Isaac and Rebekah to encourage Jacob to find a wife among the Aramean pagans, but not among the Canaanite and the Hittite pagans? Are Isaac and Rebekah racist? No. This is not about race. This is about religion. As one Old Testament scholar points out, the Aramean wives embrace the faith of their husbands, unlike the Canaanite wives who seduce their husbands to join them in their lifestyles. The issue is one of purity versus religious syncretism. So think about Rebecca. Right? She's actually came from Aramean pagans. She came from them. She embraced the faith of Abraham when she married Isaac. This is a common refrain that Moses makes for the people of Israel as they're journeying into the promised land of Canaan. He warns them over and over again not to take wives from among the Canaanites, for they would lead them away from the worship of the one true God, to worship false gods. Now, there's, there's an obvious exception to this rule, right, that, um, that Canaanites might lead you away. Just think of Rahab for an example, right? Rahab, she's in the genealogy of Jesus. She was a believer in God. You can convert. Canaanites could convert. Rahab was a wonderful example of this. She's a notable exception. And an Israelite is allowed to marry a convert of Yahweh. But in large part, the Canaanites did not bow the knee to Yahweh. They maintained their false religion. And that's why Isaac agrees to send Jacob away to Padan Aram. He wants his son to find a faithful wife from the same land where his faithful wife came from. And beloved... The Lord God still calls His people to marry from among fellow Christians today. From among the faithful people of God. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39 teaches us that God's people may marry, but only in the Lord. So my single brothers and sisters, you are free to marry anyone from any ethnic background as long as they are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the king of people from every tongue and tribe and nation. Jesus shows no partiality among the nations. He saves all kinds of sinners from all kinds of backgrounds. And he delights to unite his people together in marriage from different backgrounds. Brothers and sisters, let me encourage you to not even entertain. Do not even entertain a relationship with someone who does not have the same faith in Jesus as you do. Wait patiently upon the Lord. As hard as it is, wait patiently upon the Lord. Remain faithful in your duties to the Lord Jesus each and every day. And trust that He will, in time, bring along a godly husband or wife in the right time. Or trust that His providence is best if He doesn't. 
He knows what is best. He knows how to make you most like the Lord Jesus. And that is what He wants from your life. He wants to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in you and through you. And He may have a different kind of plan for you. And you need to trust that plan and Him. Now, Rebecca has made Jacob's departure uh, Isaac's idea. It's always a good strategy. If you want someone to do something, say like in a company or group, you make it their idea, right? And Isaac, he takes the next step to bless Jacob as he goes. Isaac is finally bending to the will of God. Long ago in Genesis chapter 25, verse 23, God had chosen to pass the Abrahamic blessing on to Jacob. And then in Genesis 27, verse 33, after being deceived, Isaac kind of reluctantly acknowledged that Jacob would be blessed. Oh yes, okay, this happened. Gosh, I got tricked. He will be blessed. But here, he personally applies the blessing of Abraham to Jacob. And interestingly, Isaac echoes the words of God himself from Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 to 3, when Yahweh blessed Abraham and promised him that Sarai would indeed bear offspring. Isaac. So Isaac is picking up language of the promise that God made to his father. And he's using it as he applies it to Jacob. He uses the same name, God Almighty, El Shaddai. If He is Almighty, then there is nothing and no one mightier than He. This is a declaration that is El Shaddai, that God is all-powerful. Beloved, you must understand who our God is. You must understand what this name reveals about Him. That He is all-powerful. You must understand that God has irresistible power. That God has inexhaustible power. You must realize that God has infinite power. He will perform what He promises. By attaching this name to the promises, Isaac is saying they will surely come to pass. He is able to perform what He promises. And realize that this is a mark of God's grace to Jacob. Like Jacob would not receive the blessing because he deceived everyone into it. Jacob did not receive the blessing because he deserved it. He certainly didn't. He was a deceiver. He would receive the blessing because the Almighty God graciously bestowed it. God's promises always come by God's power. And Christian, you need to realize that if you have come to know the saving blessings of God in Jesus Christ... It is not because you are almighty, but because God is. Christian, you need to realize that if you have come to know the saving blessings of God and Jesus Christ, it is not because you deserved it. It is not because you deserved it, but because God delivered you from His wrath and graciously bestowed the saving blessing in Jesus Christ upon you. God's saving blessings come to weak and wicked sinners. Friend, have you you come to acknowledge that about yourself? Like Jacob, you might be able to deceive everyone else around you. And perhaps even yourself. But you cannot deceive God. He sees right through you. And friend, God would be pleased to deliver you into His saving blessings in Jesus Christ. Friend, turn from your sin. Admit your weakness. Admit your wickedness. Admit that you deserve to face God's wrath for your sin. And come to Jesus Christ and be saved. Believe that Jesus is the promised and saving offspring of Abraham. 
Believe that Jesus is the one who lived a life of perfect obedience to God the Father. Believe that Jesus is the one who died on the cross, bearing God's wrath against your sin and wickedness. And believe that God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day, vindicating Him and proving to us all that whoever turns from their sin and unites themselves to Jesus Christ in faith, they will be saved. Friend, turn from your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Take refuge in Jesus Christ today from the wrath of God. That's how you will come to know God's saving blessings. That's how God's people are blessed. Not because of anything that they have done, but because of what Jesus has done. Jacob is blessed, not because of anything he has done, but because of what God has been pleased to do. Isaac uses the powerful name of God, the God who brought life to Sarai's dead womb, to assure Jacob that he too will have children, that he too will be blessed by God with offspring, that he will have lineage, peoples. In time, Jacob would have more children than any other patriarch. And so we read at the end of verse 3 there. Do you see it? That he will become a company of peoples. This is a a fascinating blessing because it's a further expansion on the Abrahamic promises. Uh, So far we've been told in the book of of Genesis, it's also Jesus' book too. Um, But in the book of Genesis, that Abram uh, would have lineage and land. That he would have a people and a place. That he would have dominion and dynasty. But now... We're told that the people will become a company of peoples. And embedded in that word company, kahal, we get the idea of an assembly. And in fact, throughout the rest of the Old Testament, uh, this word will be translated company or congregation of Israel or assembly of Israel. And the New Testament actually carries over this idea when it refers to the New Testament people of God, or it refers to the church. But this people, uh, according to Isaac's blessing and God's promise, will have a place. One day, they're going to take possession. Do you see that there? They're going to take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Now Jacob, he's going to leave Canaan. But his people will come back and possess the land that God promised to give them. Now remember who is first hearing this book. Who is first reading this book. Remember the wilderness generation that's receiving this book. Think about how this would have put a spring in their step as they're marching through the wilderness going toward the promised land of Canaan. They could have said to one another, God is going to give us this land that we're about to go into. He promised. He promised Abraham. He promised Isaac. He promised Jacob. And God always keeps His promises. This would have been so exciting for them to read and hear. And if you were to keep reading the Old Testament, making your way right through Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you would come upon the book of Joshua. And after the conquest is complete... We read these verses, these words in Joshua chapter 21, verses 43 to 45. Thus the Lord Yahweh gave to Israel all the land that He swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and settled there. And the Lord Yahweh gave them rest on every side, just as He had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all of their enemies had withstood them. For the Lord Yahweh had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord Yahweh had made to the house of Israel had failed. All had come to pass. Listen listen to that verse again. Not, Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord Yahweh had made to the house of Israel had failed. All had come to pass. They took possession of the promised land just as God had said here in Genesis 28. 
God Almighty kept all of His promises to them. And He will keep all of His promises to you. He will keep all of His promises to you. In fact, dear Christian, He has promised to give you a land. A beautiful land. A glorious land. A land where sin can never enter in and death is known no more. It was actually the land that Abraham and all the children of faith were ultimately looking forward to. Even those who received the promised land of Canaan began to live in it. They knew that Canaan was actually but a type and foreshadowing of the heavenly promised land that you, dear Christian, will one day receive. And as we read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. And then a little later in that same chapter, the writer of the Hebrews says in verse 16, that the people of God desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. Yes, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the ancient people of God were looking forward to receiving an earthly land. But their ultimate hopes were for an eternal and heavenly land. And one day, you, dear Christian, are going to come into the glory of the new heavens and the new earth because your great Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ, has led you there. He has finally conquered all of your enemies in this world and in faith you will joyfully proclaim not one word of all of God's good promises to me have failed. They have all come to pass. Dear Christian, you might be hated by the world. But hold on to these promised blessings in Jesus Christ. He will keep them to you. You will have them in the end and without end. That is your great hope. Remember that our Joshua is coming back. He will give us hope and he will give us heaven. We are heading home. And we just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Day by day. Holding on to him. We don't have to leave home. We're going home. Jacob, though, we see here, he had to leave home. That's what we see in verse 5. He was sent away to safety. The promises of God had taken serious twists and turns in chapter 27, right? Rebellion threatened the promises. Manipulation threatened the promises. Deception threatened the promises. Greed threatened the promises. And now we see murder threatened the promises. But God Almighty protects His promises. He passes them on to His chosen servant Jacob. And He kept them away from the murderous hatred of Esau. That's why when you're hated by the world, you hold on to the promised blessings. God Almighty will ensure that you come into your heavenly inheritance. Now that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that you escape harm or hostility in this life. It doesn't mean that you necessarily escape harm or hostility in this life. But it does mean that your heavenly hope can never be taken. So how then do we live in the world as hated, but happy and blessed people? Well, we certainly do not live as Esau lives there in verses 6 to 9. In many ways, Esau is a foil for the life of faith. You get what I mean by that, right? He's a mirror image, a reverse image, as it were. He's the anti uh, mirror, as it were. We're not to walk in His way, because God's people are called to be unholy. Esau, uh, God's people are called to be holy. Esau lives an unholy life. And this is what we uh, think about in our third and final point. God's people are holy. Follow along uh, as I read verses 6 to 9 of Genesis 28. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take a wife from there. 
and that as he blessed him, he directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahaloth, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. Well, in these verses, Moses informs us that Esau noticed that Isaac blessed Jacob and sent him away to find a wife. And in response, we see that Esau himself, he goes and finds another wife to add to his home. And all of this is all wrong. Uh, Verses 6 and 7 point out three major observations by Esau. The first comes at the beginning of the verse where we're told that now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away. And then the second comes by Esau. Uh, Esau comes toward the end of verse 6 concerning Isaac's instruction about not marrying a woman from among the Canaanites. This is confirmed in verse 8. We're told that Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father. And then the third observation that kind of Esau makes, and perhaps the most critical observation, comes there in verse 7, where we're told that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother. Esau noticed this. And all of this, this shapes Esau's thinking and next decision. The loss of blessing, which is twice mentioned and underscored there in verse 2, combined with Jacob's kind of somewhat, somewhat healthy relationship with his parents, only exacerbates Esau's envy. Esau has already made terrible decisions in his life. He has lived according to the appetites of the flesh. He lived only for the moment, pursuing instant gratification and give no thought for tomorrow. That was kind of most exemplified when he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. But now, the loss of blessing and the lack of a healthy relationship with his parents is going to drive him to make a sinful attempt to try to regain his parents' affection. I think that's what's going on here. I mean... Esau's looking at what his father likes and wants. And he tries to mimic and imitate his brother. He's comparing his life to his brother and what he does. Other people, even our siblings, are not the standard to live by. Comparison. Comparison, as many have said, is the thief of joy. And we certainly see that in Esau's life. Holy living is not found in comparing your life to others. Like, oh, I, I measure up okay. Or, oh, I need to catch up to them. No, holy living is found in comparing yourself to Christ and finding, recognizing your need for forgiveness and grace and depending upon the Holy Spirit in prayer and walking according to God's word with God's help. Esau, he he sees Jacob's godly obedience to his parents and he comes up with his own counterfeit obedience. You realize that's what's going on here. You see it in verses 8 and 9 when Esau marries Ishmael's daughter? It's almost as if Esau thinks to himself, Oh, like maybe mom and dad aren't pleased with the current wives that I have. Remember, he had two. And Jacob is going to marry somebody from mom's family. So, so I know what I'll do. I'll go and I'll marry somebody from dad's family. And maybe then dad will be happy with me. Maybe he'll give me the blessing. Then maybe that's somewhat Esau is thinking. But Esau has clearly not understood God's covenant promises to Abraham. He he clearly doesn't understand the Lord. The Lord did not choose Ishmael. Abraham had two sons. Ishmael was not the one that the Lord chose. He chose Isaac. And, And Esau doesn't seem to get that. Ishmael, remember, like Cain, was the seed of the serpent. Just like Esau hated Jacob, so Ishmael actually hated Isaac. He scorned him and mocked him. 
Esau is foolishly and sinfully aligning himself with the seed of the serpent. Not only that, but he's adding sin to sin. So in verse 9, Moses tells us that he married Ishmael's daughter and that he already had wives. You see, Esau is a polygamist. And perhaps this is why the book of Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, that Esau was sexually immoral and unholy. God's design for marriage, as our church's statement of faith says, is that marriage is a single, exclusive, covenant union intended to be lifelong, entered into by one man and one woman to which God bears witness. Such a union is the sole context for sexual intimacy and procreation. Any form of sexual expression or desire outside of God's good design is immoral, sinful, and offensive to God. Now, beloved, the world would say that by defining marriage as between one man and one woman is bigoted. Uh, They would say to us that love is love and that a man and a man can get married or a woman and a woman can get married. That is not at all true. But the world will express their hatred and shout down Christians and the Bible on this topic. And then the world will turn around and take another swipe at Christians. They'll point out polygamy in the Bible and how it was tolerated. The world is wrong on the latter charge and on the former charge. The Bible nowhere commends polygamy. God did not give Adam multiple wives. That's not God's design. The Bible never, never smiles on, condones, or promotes polygamy. It always shows us that polygamy is an unmitigated disaster. Whether that be in the lives of the patriarchs or in kings like Solomon, polygamy is sin and always wrong. But consider how twisted the world's logic is. If love is love, as so many say in the world, then why is polygamy wrong? I mean, according to today's worldly definition, Esau did nothing wrong. If love is love, why is polygamy wrong? If love is love, then why is bestiality wrong? Don't you see the world is operating with a counterfeit definition of love that is determined only by the subjective self? There's no limiting principle in the world's definition of love. It is only limited by an individual's imagination. There's no teleological principle, no goal or design in the world's definition of love, apart from one's self-satisfaction. The world's definition of love, as I said, is determined by the subjective self, the wicked whims of the human heart, and not the wisdom of the sovereign God. The world is therefore operating with a definition of love that is not a true, good, or beautiful definition. Esau does something that is so utterly unholy in marrying a daughter of Ishmael. He only compounds his sin. God's people, on the other hand, must be holy. Unlike Esau, we don't live according to the whims of our hearts. We live according to the Word of God. We don't look at what others others are doing and try to figure out how to please God. We look at Christ and we walk in His path according to His loving commands. And we are to keep walking all the way home, no matter what the shouts, what the world shouts at us. Which is what I want us to think about as we conclude. Beloved, when you are hated by the world, hold on to Jesus and walk in holiness. Remember who our God has revealed Himself to be in this passage. 
He is El Shaddai. He is God Almighty. He has irresistible power, inexhaustible power. And in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have seen that He has indestructible power. He will perform what He promises. The world may put you to death, but God has the indestructible power of raising the dead to life. That's what He's done in Jesus Christ. And that is what He will do for each one of us on the last day. Because you belong to God Almighty, He will perform what He has promised to you. You are going to make it home. And the hatred of the world will not stand in God's way. Remember and take to heart the words of the song that we're going to sing in just a minute. Should persecution rage and flame, still trust in your Redeemer's name. In fiery trials you shall see that as your days, your strength shall be. So sing with joy, afflicted one. The battles fierce, but the victories won. The victories won. God shall supply all that you need. Yes, as your days, your strength shall be. He will help you to keep walking. Hold on to Him. Let's pray together.